Today on Ag News Daily. So you're going to notice some changes here in the coming year. 2020 kind of rocked us like it did everybody else. Uh, but uh, here in 2021, we're, we're going to be anticipating some changes, one of which that I'm really excited about is an internship database. Good afternoon, Ag News Daily listeners. It's Ashton Carr, and I am flying this I was going to say flying this ship, but uh, I don't think that's the right terminology there. I'm steering this ship solo today. I'm a little bit jealous of Delaney because she is out skiing. And honestly, you know, I've said it before and I'm not really a snow kind of person, but I think I could deal with the snow if I was out skiing on vacation. I think I kind of need one right now after dealing with all of the bad weather here in Texas over the past week. And it looks like we're getting some kind of traction on getting more power to residents of the state and getting some water to those who've been without water. I think it's going to be a slow process to say the least, but I know that my parents back home are doing a lot better today than they have been in the previous days this week. But the farmers and ranchers are still struggling to kind of get back up on their feet One industry that's also still kind of getting back up on their feet after the harsh weather in Texas is the dairy industry. Up to $8 million of milk per day are being lost in Texas following processing shutdowns caused by these power outages throughout the state and rolling blackouts across Texas have shut processing plants and farms off from electricity and natural gas, of course, for the past several days. And select milk producers estimate that losses of nearly $1 million per day while their plant idles after state officials took them offline to balance the power strain. Texas Ag Commissioner Sid Miller says this week's winter storm is having a dire impact on the state's food and ag supply chain, with similar shutdowns also taking place at feed mills, meat processing plants, and other processors. USDA's weekly dairy processing report confirms backlogs have taken place in Texas as well as in New Mexico and to the central and Midwest regionals along with the Pacific Northwest as haulers and processors came to a standstill this week battling winter storms. Kicking things off, talking a little bit more news for today other than the weather. The National Pork Producers Council has launched a campaign encouraging the more than 500,000 people who work in the pork industry to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, more farmers have voiced their opinion on getting the COVID vaccine, and NPPC CEO Neil Dirks says that he hopes the you're essential, so it's essential message resonates with farmers, veterinarians, livestock haulers, processing employees, and other workers along the pork supply chain. He was quoted as saying, NPPC is supportive of us all getting vaccinations. That's why we put the campaign together to build awareness, not only with the individuals to get the vaccine, but also those businesses in our industry to make resources available to them to help answer questions. He also told Brownfield Ag News that while it's difficult to gauge how many workers are open to getting vaccinated, the biological nature of the pork industry highlights the important role vaccines play in animal health. Dirks says even though instances of COVID cases among packing plant workers are down fivefold since last spring, the pork sector must remain vigilant. 
And I completely agree with Dirks that we have to stay vigilant in this fight against COVID-19. Um, I'm not exactly sure if cases are really on the rise again or if they're kind of leveling out. I think that's something that I need to definitely look into, especially since I'm you know, saying that we need to kind of stay vigilant in this fight against the disease or the virus, I should say. But we're, we're seeing the ag industry get, I, I shouldn't say more support, um, but kind of get the go ahead to get the COVID-19 vaccine. So folks, if you're interested in getting the COVID-19 vaccine, I know a lot of programs and companies, businesses, it's all voluntary. But if you are interested, I definitely think that you should look into it because it sounds like the ag industry is going to be getting some of those vaccines here shortly. And in the same vein of the pork industry, the U.S. pork industry remains committed to preventing African swine fever from entering the United States. But one of the industry's biggest concerns at the moment is the ability to repair trading relationships if an outbreak should occur. David Pressler, who is the CEO of Minnesota Pork, says the U.S. is falling behind in some areas, and that could slow down the industry's ability to return to a normal trading environment. He says the testing and the surveillance is still probably one of the biggest gaps from our perspective, and that's how you can prove what's really going on and have better information for our trading partners. Kimberly Dodd with the USDA's Foreign Animal Disease and Diagnostic Laboratory on Plum Island says that she's also concerned about the unknowns that come with battling the disease. And she was quoted as saying, we're doing a lot of work to evaluate new sample types, but our biggest challenge is being able to get countries where ASF is endemic to give us access to those samples so we can get a better understanding of how it would function in the U.S. in case of an outbreak. And I think this article is pretty timely because African swine fever, of course, is still present in foreign countries. However, of course, it hasn't entered the United States just yet. And it it makes me a little bit anxious, you know, to think about African swine fever getting into our pork herds domestically, because I don't even know what that would mean for, you know, not just our trading relationships, but what that would mean for the pork market domestically. I mean, the pork market is really just getting back up on its feet after they were backlogged from COVID-19 shutdowns. And so honestly, as you know, a, a pork producer, I mean, I'm not really a pork producer myself, but being, you know, within the pork industry growing up, it, it would just absolutely break my heart for something like this to happen. So I really hope that the USDA gets what they need, the pork producers get what they need to know a little bit more about African swine fever. That way they can prevent anything and, and go a little bit further in, in terms of biosecurity. But moving on here, I guess I'm just talking a lot about pigs today. Olimel LP, who is one of Canada's largest hog packers, said earlier today that it was shipping pigs to the United States to help clear a backlog of slaughter weight hogs because its Red Deer Alberta plant was temporarily closed after a COVID-19 outbreak. Olimel announced the plant's closure on Monday after 167 out of 1,850 employees tested positive for the virus and an updated count of infections is not tallied at the moment, but the Alberta backlog currently amounts to 8,000 to 9,000 hogs and Olimel hopes to clear it four to five weeks after the reopening of the plant. However, Olimel doesn't know when the plant will actually reopen. 
The company has begun shipping pigs that it raised on its own farms to the United States to ease the backlog. And just as I said, pork producers here in the U.S. are getting back on their feet after the backlog of our domestic herds. And I think that this only helps our relationship with our neighbors up north. Listeners, if you do recall some time ago earlier this summer, there was some mailing of some suspicious seeds from foreign countries, and uh, it, it raised a lot of questions. And the USDA is providing additional guidance for buying and selling seeds and plants from other countries following an investigation into that unsolicited seed packet shipment that some ex- that some Americans experienced during that time. The USDA's animal plant And Health Inspection Service says plants and seeds for planting pose a significant risk to U.S. agriculture and natural resources because they can carry pests and disease threats. The agency regulates the importation of plants and seeds for planting and has outlined required documents including important permits and phytosanitary certificates, information on plant and seed species that have additional import requirements, and which plants and seeds are not allowed to be imported into the U.S. They published the website after evaluating the thousands of reports of unsolicited seed deliveries that began back in July of 2020. Plant Protection and Quarantine Program Deputy Administrator Dr. Osama Elisi says it's a big step forward in their efforts to facilitate the safe trade of plants and seeds through e-commerce. APHIS has found no evidence that someone was intentionally trying to harm U.S. agriculture, but officials do believe the unsolicited seeds were part of a brushing scam. APHIS says it has been working with e-commerce companies to remove online sellers participating in this illegal import of seeds. So it was quite some time until we got some answers there, folks, but luckily the APHIS agency was on top of it, and they gave us some answers and are providing that additional guidance for those who are buying and selling seeds and plants online. But ladies and gentlemen, since Delaney is our in-house market reader, we are not going to have a market segment for today. I do apologize. I'm trying my best to learn how to read those markets. But since we aren't having that market segment, we're going to go ahead and kick our conversation off with Tim Hammerich of AgGrad. Well, I am very excited as I've been teasing up this episode. We are launching a new series here on the podcast, the 30 Under 30 series. And to kick things off with us today, we've got Tim Hamrich, the founder of AgGrad, as well as the 30 Under 30 series, which we'll get into here a little bit more. But Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. So, Tim, let's start before we talk about specifically the 30 under 30 program. Let's talk a little bit more about AgGrad, because that was kind of your brainchild that you launched a couple of years ago now and has really taken off from there. I I started AgGrad. Yeah, I started it in, uh, well, in 2015, but it actually goes way back further than that. In, in 2007, I graduated from undergrad and still felt pretty ill-equipped to know what my the right career path for me was going to be. And that always stuck with me. I ended up going into merchandising uh, grain for eight years and feed ingredients. But uh, when I wanted to get into recruiting in 2015, I, I still realized there was this problem of not having enough resources for young professionals in agriculture. And that's how AgGrad was born. 
And fantastic. That's a pretty neat story. I didn't realize that you'd worked in the merchandising industry, Tim. So that's pretty neat to hear. So tell me a little bit more than you launched this platform and you guys have a Facebook group. You obviously have a website, but you also started to cultivate young leaders within agriculture for this 30 under 30 program. Tell us a little bit more about the thought process behind putting that together. Sure. We realized that there's this big gap between someone in college wondering what their career path is going to look like and talking to, you know, executives or people who are already decades into their career. It kind of there's this murky middle, right, where it's like, well, how did they get there? And so uh, we looked around and realized that nobody in agriculture was really kind of owning this young professional uh, area where we could really see the interesting things people are doing early in their career instead of just, you know, having them on a podcast or something later in their career. And so it's been it's been great. First of all, it's, I think, brought a lot of clarity to what's possible in this industry, because as you know, all 30 people are from very different backgrounds and doing interesting things in, in various facets of agriculture. But I think also it's just pr- provide that clarity to like, okay, I don't need to wait 20 years in a job that I maybe like, maybe don't like that much, I can go get what I want now. So Tim, I I think that Ag Grad is a great resource. I've been looking on your website and I'm a recent graduate as well. So I can kind of understand, you know, those kinds of feelings that you're, you're talking about. But from a resource standpoint, obviously, Ag Grad is a resource itself. But what other resources are available on the Ag Grad website for these, you know, new graduates to to use? The biggest ones are the uh, ebooks that we have on AgGrad, which is going to include the 327 careers are in agriculture, the 30 under 30 every year. Uh, we have one on kind of landing a job in agriculture that's sort of end to end, where to look, how to prepare for interviews, how to structure your resume, that sort of thing. So the resources start there and then they extend to different platforms. And so, as you mentioned, social media has been big, but also the podcast and uh, YouTube channel. And uh, the 30 under 30 has really become our focal point for that. Um, AgGrad in general is in a little bit of a transition because it used to be it used to exist on uh, recruitment services. So I would work for companies that wanted me to find talent for them. Uh, that business has changed this past year. Last May, uh, there was another recruiter that wanted to buy my book of business. And so I went ahead and sold that. And since that time, um, just creating free resources has been uh, the focus of AgGrad. So you're going to notice some changes here in the coming year. 2020 kind of rocked us like it did everybody else. Uh, but uh, here in 2021, we're we're going to be anticipating some changes, one of which that I'm really excited about is an internship database. And uh, what that would look like is rather than an internship job board, uh, it would actually be a database of intern of any company that hires interns can list on there for free and just create this database of what's possible rather than having to wait when an internship happens open. So that's one thing I'm hoping to to bring to AgGrad at some point. That's certainly exciting for young people. But one thing that doesn't sound like it's changing is the 30 under 30 program. So obviously, it's 30 different folks that you uh, feature or highlight that are under the age of 30. Tell us about how you go about selecting these candidates. Sure. We're very lucky to have a a panel, I'll call it, of judges that help us in, in each of the six categories. And uh, let's see if I can remember them all off the top of my head here, but it's uh, agribusiness, production, agriculture, uh, technology and innovation, education, and advocacy, uh, food security and sustainability, 
and, uh, and entrepreneurship are the six categories. And so for each of those, we get two or three judges to help us out. Uh, we have an open call for um, submissions, and usually those submissions are, are in the form of a nomination. So you know somebody who's doing great things under the age of 30 in agriculture and would fill out a, a nomination form for them. And then we invite them to, to get as many as three nominations to be considered in the process by this panel of judges. And the judges score on a very objective rubric uh, based on career advancement, community engagement, and contribution to the industry of agriculture. And then uh, in the end, uh, what ends up being usually uh, close to 200 people gets uh, gets eventually down to the the top 30, and we have a list of impressive people like Delaney Howell. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm very. It was a definitely an honor to be part of this year's class. But honestly, looking through the list of candidates that were selected for this year, I was like, man, I don't feel like I measure up to some of these people. I mean, there are some incredible people doing some really incredible things. I mean, they're, especially the entrepreneurship category, which is where I fit in. I was like, man, I don't feel like I'm, I have quite as much entrepreneurship experience as some of the other uh, young people in this 30 under 30, but um, walk us through a little bit more. You've done this. I think this is your second year. Is that right, Tim, of having 30 under 30s? Yeah, it is. And, and let me just say, Delaney, you're way underselling yourself there because <laughs> in 2021, a big part of entrepreneurship is developing a brand. And I think you've you've built multiple brands, including your own personal brand. That's very well regarded. So don't don't undersell yourself <laughs> there. Uh, but yeah, the, the people are tremendous. And I'm excited for your series because what I have found is some really in-depth knowledge among the 30, all in different verticals. And so I think you're going to come out with some really great content. But yeah, to get back to your question, it is the second year we've done it. And um, I'm really, really happy with the 30 that we got in both years. Have Has there been, you know, a couple of people or stories that have stood out to you in the past two years in doing this? Oh, boy. Yeah. You know, I think I have a recency bias here. So the ones that I have, I have been working with lately to either get their, you know, their podcast edited and published or, or something like that are going to come to the top of mind. So I'll just, I'll just name a few of the recent ones that, that we've done um, podcasts on, you know, one of them um, would be uh, Allison Cox, who works for John Deere. And she talked about customer support, which I think, you know, getting back to the, the mission of AgGrad is an overlooked career path in agriculture. You know, she's an engineer by training, but she provides customer service and customer support from uh, for John Deere, and she loves her job. And so, you know, that one comes to mind because I think that was probably the last one uh, that we that we just. Um that we just published. And then, you know, uh, and then I think the one before Allison was with Garrett Lister and he does cattle hedging for a large feed, uh, feeding company. And so we, we addressed the daunting question of what exactly is basis and why should I care? And then how do we manage price risk in a cattle situation? That has been a really interesting one. And, um, so anyway, every single one of them is unique and interesting in their own way. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out one more at you that of, of this year's class, um, that we had here last year with uh, that we profiled was Anna Glenn and she's in Liberia. So she's teaching agriculture to subsistence farmers in Liberia. So, you know, it is a requirement that you are a U.S. citizen uh, just to try to keep the focus here. But we do have people living all over the world doing interesting things. So, Tim, the journey of AgRad is certainly an interesting one, and I'm excited to see the future and if you guys grow and expand the ag 
grad 30 under 30 program to, you know, more facets of agriculture. But with that being said, I think a lot of folks are looking towards the the future right now. And we are kind of hoping for a better year than, than 2020. And you've kind of touched on that. But with that being said, you know, what do you think about the future of the agriculture industry as we kick off and hopefully into better times? Yeah, I think I would share that optimism, Ashton, that, you know, things are looking up in a lot of ways. And of course, that starts at the producer level, which I'm sure you you all cover here daily on what's happening there. But uh, I'm optimistic. One thing I didn't see is a a drop in hiring in agriculture. I mean, the, the demand for talent is fundamental and it's here and it's real and it's not going anywhere. And so I think that will continue. And that's what I kind of have my sites focused on most. So I think there's a lot of opportunities. One trend I always talk about that that, of course, hasn't changed is, you know, there is a a, a bit of a talent gap. And some people will say that's because in the 1980s, ag was so bad, everyone told their, uh, you know, sons and daughters go work anywhere else but ag. <laughs> and so you've got these, you know, senior executives that at some point are going to want to retire. And then you have my generation, you know, the millennials and uh, maybe the late Gen X uh, folks that are coming up now and, and uh, going to have to take on these positions. And I think that's a rising tide that will that will lift a lot of boats. Yeah, that's very true. I didn't even think about the gap that we have from the 80s farm crisis, but I'm really excited, Tim, that we are uh, launching this little series to highlight some of the fellow 30 under 30 folks. But with that being said, we're going to be interviewing some of the folks, but these are not going to be to the extent of the interviews that you've got to sit down and um, talk to the people behind the mic. So if we have an interesting 30 under 30 coming up that our listeners want to learn a little bit more about Tell us again those resources of the podcast and blog and whatnot where they can go to find out more about these future 30 under 30 folks. Sure. Yeah, you could find AgGrad. So just A-G-G-R-A-D uh, at our website, aggrad.com or on most social media platforms, including YouTube and on any podcast player. If you're a podcast listener, it's just called the AgGrad Podcast. Fantastic. Well, Tim, thanks again for joining us today. Really appreciate it and looking forward to uh, kicking off this series. Oh, thank you all so much for doing this. I think it's a great idea and I'm excited to listen to them. Well, again, thank you there to Tim for coming on the podcast, talking about ag grad and for kicking our 30 under 30 mini series off. I'm very excited for you guys to hear the stories of these folks who have worked so hard so early on in life to achieve greatness in the agriculture industry. So be sure to keep tuning in at agnewsdaily.com to hear those stories and follow along as we share them on social media at agnewsdaily on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And with that, I'm going to let the people go.